Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And uh, today we're going back to what has to be one of the iconic UConn games, and really one of the iconic basketball games in general. Uh, this is uh, Allen versus Allen, the Ray Allen versus Allen Iverson showdown in the 1996 Big East Championship. So, I mean, those two players are obviously in the Hall of Fame, so this matchup has aged quite well. Uh, but even in the moment, this game was a huge, huge deal, and it really did live up to the hype. So, you know, joining us today is somebody who saw it live and was at the heart of all of it. Ken Davis is here today. So, Ken, um, you've probably seen more UConn basketball than just about anybody, or certainly, you know, you're up there with the most... Um, so what just, I guess, just so people kind of have a better, uh, understanding of who you are and your background, could you just kind of give a quick introduction and, uh, a little overview on, you know, who you are and what you've been up to? Sure. Sure. I, uh, well, I haven't seen as many as Dwayne Norman cause like, you know, he's like going to live forever and broadcast like a million UConn games. But, uh, yeah, I've certainly seen my share. I came to Hartford, uh, well, I, I grew up in the Kansas City area, went to the University of Kansas, graduated in 1980, and in 1985, after some stints at some other places, I moved to the Hartford Current in 1985 to start covering the Huskies, and that 85-86 season was Don Perno's last season for those of us who have been around that long, um, Earl Kelly on that team, and you know, a really rough season because Dom was uh, at the point where it just wasn't happening and you kind of did the task force report and got all of its academics in place because you kind of went into the big east you know not being prepared for all the things that, that on the court or off the court either one and you know there was that little three that existed for a long time with you in providence and seton hall and uh you know and then jim calhoun came in in the in may of 1986 and and things changed quickly and so I was so I was on the beat when Jim came on already for a year and then uh, of course they uh, won the NIT in 1988 and almost made the final four in, in 1990 and uh, the dream season that year was was really still one of my favorite teams and uh, those guys came back to tier at Gample to celebrate the uh, you know, unbelievably the 30th year of, of Gample Pavilion and got to see Scott Burrell and uh, Dan Cerulek and all those guys on that team, uh, most of them anyway, Johnny Gwynn, Chris Smith. And so, uh, you know, that was the start of moving into a whole different era when they lost to Duke and just missed the Final Four in 1990. Of course, they won the Big East that year in 1990, and then they didn't win the Big East tournament again until 96, which was the game we're talking about with uh, – Ray Allen against Allen Iverson, and uh, just a, an amazing, amazing game. And it, I, I, I took the time to go back and watch the video of it because uh, you know, everybody remembers Ray's shots at one, but uh, a lot of things happened, obviously, leading up to that. It was a great game, and uh, and really Ray and Allen Iverson didn't play. Neither one of them shot well during the game, and uh, then – and then Ray made the great shot, and Allen had another shot after after Ray shot and, and missed. But um, that was that was Calhoun's second and UConn's second biggest tournament victory. And uh, by that time, Georgetown already had uh, their six under John Thompson. So you know that you know, that made it an even bigger deal to 
to slay the giant of the, the Hoyas, the, the Hoya paranoia myth and all that. But um, no, I stayed on the beat through uh, 97, actually, the next year after uh, this game. Uh, I stayed on the beat, and then when the Whalers left, we, we kind of shifted things around at the current. I technically became the national college basketball writer and did that until I left there in uh, 2005. Uh, took one of the early buyouts and all the things that happened in the newspaper industry. And since then, I, I've basically been a freelancer. I worked for NBC Sports Online and Fox Sports Online and ran the um, a Husky page on uh, Scout, that people might remember, scout.com. And then uh, I spent a year at The Athletic most recently. In the last two years, I've, just, I've kind of backed off a little bit in, in what I've done for some health reasons and also just uh, things are such a mess, <laughs> as you know, in the industry that the, the newspapers don't do what they used to do. And, uh, and I was looking back at, I found my sections from this game and uh, to think what we used to do with our coverage, I mean, it, it, it would blow your mind if you, if you saw the newspaper from that data. You could barely read at that point. You were too young. Well, yeah, let's, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, it is obviously, you know, it's, you know, been, it's been a long time, obviously, but this, uh, with this game, you know, I, I really wanted to talk to you about this game and this era in particular, because this is like an interesting period in Yukon history. Uh, I mean, you've kind of already kind of got into how, you know, they under Jim Calhoun, the program kind of rises from nothing into this contender. But by the time we get to 96, UConn has pretty much firmly established itself as a, really a national power. Uh, you know, the 94 and 95 seasons, the team were, was was very, very good. They, you know, the 95 season, they made the run to the Elite Eight. And I think most people would would say that if, you know, if they don't lose to UCLA, that's that was probably the, the, those were probably the two best teams in the country that year. So for the 96, it's like the expectations are high, but they haven't won the Big East championship since nine, the 90 season. And, you know, you have Ray Allen, you know, who's obviously tremendous. So, you know, what was it like, you know, around UConn basketball and in Connecticut and then just the whole vibe around the program, you know, at that stage kind of going into the 96 season? Well, it was a very exciting time. I mean, the emergence of the program on a national scale because, you know, really prior to them, like I said, struggling in the Big East in the early going, they, you know, they, you know, they'd won a lot of Yankee conference championships and everything, but they were pretty much a regional team. And um, I came to I, my, my second job in, in my career was with the Binghamton News Press in Binghamton, New York, and I was covered Syracuse and. We, uh, we even had a couple of local kids, Sonny Sparrow, Sean Cairns, uh, on the Syracuse team at that time, and we would go up from Binghamton to cover home games. I, I didn't go on the road, but um, we didn't even cover them. <laughs> when UConn and Seton Hall came into town, we didn't even cover those home games. So that tells you about UConn's respect at that time. And then, uh, you know, the emergence after 90, and as you said, the, the 95 season, with the UCLA game, I, I still kind of consider that the national championship game because UCLA went on to win it. And it was a, it was a great high scoring game, 102 to 96 or something like that. And it was really kind of Ray Allen's breakout game. Um, he really 
played well in, against the Bruins, and of course they went on to win the national championship. And you know, I think a lot of us thought that that, that team would would get to the Final Four, but it was playing UCLA in, in Oakland, so that was tough. It was a home crowd for the Bruins, and you know, Donnie Marshall once told me, you know, that was that was his last game, and the, for the guys like uh, like Brian Fair, Donnie Marshall. That was a tough pill to swallow in that game to, to lose and, you know, scored that many points and everything. And they, they had, had a good season the year before that in 94 was when Daniel Marshall missed the free throws against Florida. And they would have, if they had won that game down in Miami, um, they would have played Boston College, who they had absolutely owned with, uh, with Jim Calhoun coaching against, you know, his hometown, Boston. And so... Those two seasons were very, very frustrating um, endings. Anyway, you know, good teams, great players like Danielle and and uh, and Ray, and then that that whole big recruiting class that they got as a result of people like Brian Fair in, in Arizona and and uh, Donnie Marshall in Washington, and and those guys watching, you know, watching UConn on on. Uh, Big Monday on ESPN, that was a huge boost to the recruiting. So, you know, everything everything took off after the 1990 season in, in recruiting with a great coaching staff of Jim and, and Howie Dickerman and Dave Lato. And uh, they were just a great trio. They knew how to, they knew how to go to, out in the summer and, and find players that were suited for the program and what they did, not necessarily – the highest ranked players, you know, Chris Smith was the first big signee, but he wasn't, um, I don't even, I, I think he was in maybe in the top 50 at the end of, his, of that recruiting class. But Ray was like 27th. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't uh, necessarily a top, you know, he wasn't a top 10 recruit that a lot of people knew. So uh, they kind of dug him out and, uh, that, you know, that it was just uh, it was an explosion, you know, and, and and you watch the tape of this game, and certainly the UConn crowd was at Madison Square Garden, and it, and the George, you know, Georgetown had a great following, and Syracuse had a great following, and it was just a great time. Because I mean, 1990, they they beat Georgetown and Syracuse back to back in the regular season, and that moved them up and into the, the limelight, and then you know, then they won the tournament, beating beating them again in, in the tournament. So, um, you know, those were those were the powerhouses, Syracuse, Georgetown, St. John's. And to do it that way really, you know, elevated them. And, you know, going going into that final, they were ranked third in the country, and Georgetown was ranked sixth. So, you know, it just kind of shows you what we've missed from the Big East era, you know, being in the American – watching these games and I, I know the fans agree that they were never satisfied with the with the move to the American after the league split up. I think the uh, ticket sales would uh, be a good indicator of that. Supposedly they sold more season tickets in two days than they did in six weeks last year and we don't even know if there's going to be a season so yeah I, I think that's safe right. to say. So I, I just kind of wanted to jump in real quick. So with this particular season and this particular team th- this team really got rolling. Uh, I think they they won I think they they almost ran the table in the Big East in the regular season, but the one game that they lost was to Georgetown, and it was fairly late in the year, and it was a game where Ray Allen really just had nothing. He he had, 
I think 13 points or something, and he missed just a ton of shots. It was a kind of a disastrous performance. So, um, what what kind of how is this team in the regular season, and especially in that game? Like, what sort of happened? Uh, you know, in the the first Georgetown uh, game that they played. Uh, this team had great chemistry, and it, you know they started off at the Great Alaska Shootout, and they beat TCU really handily, and everybody saw how you know they looked they looked really good, and that it was a, a lopsided win against uh, TCU. Then they lost to overtime to Iowa in in the Alaska Shootout in the second game, and they came back and beat Indiana. So they lost the second game of the year, and then they rolled off twenty three straight wins, and they had that win streak going all the way to. Um, the Georgetown game at Georgetown, and this was one of those crazy seasons with the staggered schedule, so they only played Georgetown once in the regular season, and like you said, Ray only had 13 points. The, the whole team was off. I mean, it wasn't all on him, but he did not have a good game. I can't remember what he shot, but it, it was a disastrous game down in, in Landover, and they always had a hard time playing in Landover. It was always, you know, tough a tough scenario to go into throughout the whole history of of, you know, of uh, the great players like Alonzo and everything that, that John Thompson brought in. And then he got to, um, you know, got to that year there that the lineup for Georgetown that day in the, in the Big East Championship game was Victor Page and Allen Iverson in the backcourt. That's pretty darn good. I mean, Victor Page had scored, I think it was 34 in the game before that, and and he was the hot guy more than more than Iverson. Jerome Williams, Bubakar Ah, who is one of my favorite names of all time, um, and uh, Othello Harrington, who was like one of the great shot blockers that year in in, in all of college basketball. So you know it was a solid lineup, and they had some good people coming in off the bench, and uh, so that was the setup. You know that they they had another shot at Georgetown going into the. Um, because they, they they lost they lost to Georgetown and then they rolled off another, uh, I think it was eight straight wins or or, or something like that going into the Big East tournament and uh, so they they had a couple of good runs obviously twenty three straight and the team just grew together you know and 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 like for a lot of the championship game I and mean, this was keep in mind this is Ricky Moore's freshman year and he had a great championship game but I mean he had not really emerged yet um he emerged later in the season but you had kirk king and you had travis knight up front um uh, eric hayward gave him some good moments even in, in the championship game but but jim could put um ray allen and deron sheffer and ricky moore out there at the same time i mean just imagine that i mean it's just it's just a great uh, perimeter game that they had so um it was it was a combination of seniors with Derone and and Rudy Johnson and Travis Knight and then you had uh, Rudy Johnson that started in that game didn't play that many minutes but but was a pretty big factor he played well against Syracuse in the semifinals I think and Kirk King was a junior so it had that kind of balance you know of a freshman with Ricky coming off the bench and and uh, three seniors it just had that that um Good chemistry. They were a good passing team, and they played great defense. And of course, Ray—you know how many guys could shoot the ball like Ray? So it was a really good team. 
I mean, the answer to that question is literally maybe just one or two. I mean, it pretty much the list is Steph Curry and maybe Reggie Miller. That's kind of debatable. So yeah, like Ray Ray is unbelievable. This team, yeah, it's so funny. Like Ricky Moore as a freshman, like it almost feels like you know he and you know like Ray Allen and Danielle Marshall and kind of the Kevin Ollie you know mid '90s era. For it feels weirdly distant from like the team that won the '99 title, and yet there you have Ricky Moore and you know I yeah just like it, it is so funny just to see kind of how quickly it all kind of came up came about. You know, it's this whole era just in ten years. Um, but this, yeah, this game. So I have to say one of my favorite just sports memories in general, you know, I, I was on the UConn beat at the daily campus for the Kemba season in 2011 and getting to cover the uh, Big East tournament was just the, one of the coolest and most awesome things ever. But Kemba didn't really have a, we'll, we'll say a foil in that series. What, what he accomplished was great because he was able to beat everybody, you know, five wins in five days, you know, kind of just everything that they were able to accomplish. Whereas this, you have a transcendent matchup of two superstars, and like everybody knew it at the time. You know, Ray Allen versus Allen Iverson is about as premier a college matchup as you're going to find. I mean, the only the only ones I can think of that are definitely like better is basically Bird versus Magic, and you know, maybe a handful of others over the years. But I mean, this is like as big time as it gets. So I want to know, what was it like to be in Madison Square Garden that day, knowing that you have this title fight between these two serious all-time talents and, you know, for the biggest championship, which is, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, one of the one of the coolest events in sports. I mean, so, I mean, what was it like just being in Madison uh, Square Garden? You know, as, as you know, I mean, the, the biggest tournament just always, it seems kind of like a blur because any conference tournament where you're playing three days in a row and, and sometimes depending on the league setup, you, if you're a team at the bottom, you got to play four games to get to the championship game. But um, it, it's it's a blur, and, and so you, you know, UConn got done playing um, South, sorry, Friday, Friday in the semifinals. This is when the championship game was on Saturday, and this game was Saturday night at 8.30. But uh, it, was, it was, as I remembered, it was a typical New York kind of March night with it was very cold outside but you know the place was packed with 19,000 plus and um you know tickets were being scalped Patrick Ewing was in the crowd uh I was listening to uh the game on like I said watching the tape and Dick Vitale was talking about Michael Jordan was in town I guess the, the Bulls must have been coming in probably playing on Sunday to play the Knicks and uh he said Michael come on over you know it was like uh that would have been something and, and they said you know michael you you know if you can't get a seat for somebody i'm sure you can afford the scalper price and um so it, you know it's typical to me that was my always my favorite time of the year was going to new york for the big east tournament and no matter what i mean we had snowstorms we had cold weather we had um every scenario possible but, but just because i mean besides alan and Ray, you've got Jim Calhoun and, and John Thompson squaring off against each other, and, pa- and Patrick Ewing's in the crowd. So uh, it, it's a, you know, as anyone who's been to, to a UConn game in the Garden, I, I wouldn't say it was as crazy as when they won the, the regional uh, that time in, in the Garden, but uh, it, it was always a, a good. UConn crowd. I mean, we used to call it the UConn train going down from 
New Haven to to New York City with all the UConn fans down there, and most of them usually were drunk. <laughs> but um, it uh, it was always once they became a factor uh, when Jim came into town. That that um, it was always a, a great scene, and, and this obviously with like I said, two Hall of Fame coaches Saturday night in New York City, eight thirty tip off. Um, one of the things I remember is it was a hellacious night for me because back then we had like we had zoned editions at the Harper Current and seven different editions, so just writing constantly. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I had my laptop and something happened that night. I think it was a battery that overheated and made my life very, very difficult to file no. my stories. No. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I. That's why I especially went back and watched the, watched the uh, full tape of the game because most of the night I spent wondering, was this thing going to die on me, you know, completely? I made it through the night somehow and then got back the next day to cover selections on Sunday and everything, which was always an exciting time. But uh, it's always, it's, like in 1990 when they won the, the tournament, that was on Sunday and they, you know, they the team stayed around and they found out they had a number one seed and they were coming back to the Civic Center to play. And it was uh, a whole different kind of, of atmosphere. This time, you got to come home with the trophy, celebrate Saturday night, come home. Uh, the team would come home and, and then uh, and then watch the selection show on Sunday. So uh, they got a number one seed in the Southeast Regional that year after winning that one. But, yeah, you know, you know what it's like in New York, and it's just uh, – it's the best place to watch college basketball, really. I mean, well, I, I can't say that. I, I have to go with Allen Fieldhouse because I'm a Kansas grad. But uh, Cameron, Duke, Carrier Dome is exciting, but it's just kind of too spaced out there. But those are, those are my favorite places to watch games, and the Garden never disappoints you. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. So, yeah, so let's set the stage for this game. So UConn coming in was 29-2, uh, and two, uh, I believe ranked number three in the country. Georgetown yep. is basically right there with them. They're twenty six and six. They're ranked number six in the country. So two top ten teams there. You know, you know, big time. You know, but at this point, you know, Georgetown is a little more established as a program. But you know, everybody respects what UConn is by this point. And um, yeah, so the game itself, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised by how interesting it was. Like I, all I really knew about this game besides like. Ray Allen versus Allen Iverson and, you know, the big, the famous, you know, game winner that Ray Allen makes at the end. I didn't realize how close it was throughout and I didn't realize how uh, big a lead Georgetown kind of got down the stretch and how dire it was for UConn. And I didn't, yeah, it's like you said, like Ray Allen and Allen Iverson do not actually play very well in this game. Um, So that was, you know, kind of watching it all play out. Was it was was fascinating, um, but yeah. So kind of just to start at the beginning, you know, the first the first half is basically pretty close. I think it's almost entirely within four points, uh, regardless of who had the lead. I don't know how many lead changes there were, but it seemed like there was a lot. And uh, the first ten minutes, Ray Allen looks like Ray Allen, and he's looks he looks fantastic. You know, making shots, some really nifty passes. He had one where he like does like a weird like backhanded behind another guy's back alley oop to. Uh, I think it was Rudy Rudy Johnson, or actually it was Kirk King. Actually, he he hit for a crazy yeah. a crazy dunk, and um, you know just like he was just going to work. And uh, I never really watched Ray Allen in college before because you know I, I I mostly as a Boston guy growing up I I watched him lots with the Celtics, but 
it was funny to kind of see him like as the lead dog and doing all this cool stuff that like I don't know his his game in the NBA was you know it was more known as a shooter so he's doing some really interesting stuff in this game that I was really uh, interested in so yeah what, first yeah we'll say first ten minutes what do you, what do you remember and sort of just like how that whole section of the game played out? Well, you're right. It was it was it was back and forth. It, there was nobody could really establish. But I think, and looking back at the game, like you like you, like you said, and like I said, I mean, you you remember the game because of the great ending. But at the beginning of the game, UConn obviously had every intention of trying to push the ball, get up the court, get into transition to avoid the Georgetown press. Now this this wasn't the the best Georgetown pressing team, like some of the earlier years for Georgetown, but they're still Georgetown, and you don't want to go. You don't want to go against their full court pressure. You want to get the ball up the court as, as as quickly as you can, beat them up the court, and try to get easy shots. And they and UConn did a terrific job of that, especially early. And Deron Sheffer had. A bad shooting game too. I mean, he was one for eleven from the floor and only scored six points. But early in the game, he he really set a tone by getting the ball up the floor quickly, making long passes, like Larry Bird kind of passes. And I know that was before your time too. But Larry made those used to make those long outlet passes, and they were right on mark. And Ron did that two or three times in the early going. That I thought looking back at it now, set a really important tone for the way UConn was going to play them. And uh, that that was big, and that, that gave UConn the stance to, to stay in the game. And, and Iverson picked up an early foul. Ray picked up an early foul. Uh, right, like, Ray, Ray had a missed shot and a, and a foul in the first, like, 25 seconds or something like that. So it was a bad start for him, but then... Then he got, like you said, he kind of warmed up. He made some good plays. Uh, he hit a three-pointer on a step-back shot. He had another uh, crossover dribble that was be- one of his beautiful crossover dribbles that that uh, against uh, Victor Page that yeah. left left Victor, you know, mystified. I, I had uh, that. I had that play written down. That play was sick. <laughs> it's so it's funny to see was. someone hit hit a crossover better than Iverson, basically right in his face, almost. That was a. That was fun. And then there, there was uh, he, he, he shot over um, Iverson a little bit later, and and like you were talking about, not realizing all the things that Ray could do, he really showed off his handle on this play. Um, and I don't remember what it made the score, but it was about eight minutes left in the, in the first half, and it, that might have been his <laughs> last basket of the of the first half before he went into a slump. But he he, he drove. And he went over Iverson and, and knocked Iverson down and hit like a, a line drive. It was just a flat shot. It wasn't a one of Ray's big arcing shots, and and that was a that was a key play too. But it, it, like you know, like you were saying, he, he did so many different things well. He, he had he had some good defensive plays. He had some bad defensive plays, but he hit this line drive that was a, was a huge shot. And then um, if if memory serves, he, I think he drew a foul on Iverson on that play too, didn't yeah. he? I think so, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, I think uh, well, and then right after, right after that, like four minutes later, Iverson picked up his fourth foul. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, his third foul, and, and went to the bench with um, 4:30 left in the first half. 
so th- those those were all big plays and and uh, you know they, they were kind of going at each other right there but Victor Page guarded them Bubakar Al guarded uh, Ray really well and forced Ray into some um, more difficult shots in the in the second half but um, he he had a wide open uh, no I'm sorry he he, he his his streak getting a little ahead of ourselves a little bit he had missed 14 straight shots when he hit the winning shot and some of them were really bad he missed a wide open shot um after after uh, Allen went to the bench with his third foul Ray had an open shot with a little over three minutes left that that he just clanged and right after that Travis Knight picked up his third foul so the the first half didn't end well for UConn and they were trailing 46-42 at halftime, but, um, you know, it, it, like you said, it was close back and forth most of the first half. Yeah, so it's funny. So Iverson goes out with the, the third foul with about four minutes or so left, um, and that's a time, That's a moment where you say, okay, wow, you know, UConn can really get some get, get some distance between them because it was only, a, I believe it was only a two-point game at that point, and then – you know, Georgetown, give them credit. They really stepped up and they, they started getting stronger in the paint. They started getting rebounds and blocking shots and doing making the plays they needed to make. And they, they ended up actually outscoring UConn 8-4 to four down the down the stretch uh, over the last uh, about four minutes or so or whatever it was. So they, they go into halftime with their largest lead of the game. They're up 46-42. to 42. And at this point, the game is kind of playing out the way you would sort of expect, kind of. You know, Ray Allen has 12 points at this point. Allen Iverson's got 11. So they're both on pace to be at, you know, at or above their averages. And, um, yeah, but it's like, like you said, Ray Allen, you know, it hadn't quite been as pronounced yet, but he's starting to cool down. The last eight or nine minutes, he's not very involved. He's not very good. And, um, yeah, then the second half starts, and it starts to get a little bit dicey for a bit. Um, And then... This is, I got to just say, every time I've done an episode that involves Ricky Moore, he always does something awesome. Like he'll score like 10 straight points. He'll, you know, dunk on somebody or or I don't know, figuratively, maybe literally dunk on somebody. Just make some crazy Ricky Moore plays. I didn't watch, you know, late 90s UConn basketball, but everybody says he was just this defensive stopper. And yet, based on everything I've seen, this dude looks like he just like takes over games because every time I watch him play, he's doing crazy things. And in the second half, I mean, he's like all their offense that they have. He scores 10 straight points, I think. It's, you know, kind of the, becomes the Ricky Moore show. Um, you know, he, you were kind of getting at it before. But, I mean, you know, this is his freshman year. You hadn't seen this before. I mean, did any of you did anybody think that he was capable of that? Not really. I'm not, I'm not offensively. I mean, he, he had the reputation as a defensive stopper. And um, he and this, I mean, this was his... He ended the game with fourteen, right? I think it was. He ended up with fourteen points, and that was his that was his career high at that point. And he had two assists, which seemed like he had a lot more. But he was six of twelve from the field, and um, he took over. I mean, really, in the early parts of the second half, kept UConn in the game, and he did it by driving to the basket, and he also was handling the ball more. He he would take over at the point guard. When Jim had him out there on the floor with Jerome, Jerome would slide over to the two guard essentially, and like I said, Jerome was not shooting well, so a lot of a lot of pressure fell on Ricky. And and looking back at the stories that we wrote, Tommy Ince was my was my other uh, beat guy at that point. We had 
decided to put two B guys on the on the team at that point. And Jeff Jacobs was our was, moved into Collins' spot after Alan Greenberg went to cover the Patriots. Um, and so you know we were all we were all right. Tommy did a nice piece on Ricky after that game, and and Ricky had been so upset about the way the whole team played, disappointed in himself and the team play in that Georgetown game we talked about earlier, where they just got handled in Landover. And he had called home and, and after the game and talked to his parents. And and he said, you know, Ricky was very confident coming in, but he knew that he could play better. And uh, after the game, they won against Syracuse to set up the, the championship game. He, he seemed very determined and confident that he was going to have a good game, and he did. But the second half was outstanding. I think he scored 11 11 straight UConn points in that stretch, and it kept them close for a while. It was it was 58 to 54 after uh, he, he kind of went up in the air and hit a hanging shot and got Iverson's fourth foul. Um, I, I don't remember how much time. I think it was around 12 minutes left in the game. It was it was actually and right the, at the under 12 timeout. Yeah, it was um, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So he hit the three point play, and I think he had 11 straight there, and. And he was he was rocking it there. It was fifty eight to fifty four. But then, then Georgetown pulled away to the seventy four sixty three lead. And I, as I think back on it, I thought they're done. You know, eleven point lead. You don't. You know, like I said, Georgetown had won six Big East championships in the in the tournament, and up by eleven, they're going to win this thing with like just under five minutes left. And Travis fouled out. Um, that took a big man away, and and, and and Georgetown was big with Othella Harrington, Jahadi White, Jerome Williams, and and you figure they were they were in big trouble. And then Kirk King emerged, <laughs> and yeah. Ricky Ricky was passing to him, and Kirk was following up shots and dunking, and and he ended up with twenty points. So you know that's that's the weird thing. Kirk was eight of eleven from the floor. And Ricky was six of twelve, so that's fourteen of twenty-three, right there with those two guys. Not that what you expected. You said, "What was it like going into the game?" Well, yeah, it was all Allen and, and, and Ray, the build-up. But Allen got in foul trouble, and 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 Ray missed fourteen straight shots. So yeah, it's, uh, it's so. And it was Ricky and Kirk. Yeah, and like Ricky, it wasn't just like the the baskets he was scoring. I mean, he had he hits Rudy Johnson and for the full court pass and stride for a layup at the beginning of that run you know he he knocks down a three you know you mentioned he drew Iverson's fourth foul you know he's just just balling out like completely and you know obviously his defense is on point like it always is and um yeah but it's just so funny to imagine if he doesn't do that I mean UConn falls behind by 20 and they're toast you know I mean that's definitely there's no way they make it they come back if you know we'll say we'll just say one of the least likely players on the team to just blow up for this huge outburst. I mean, he's scoring the baskets that Ray Allen is supposed to be making. So, you know, definitely a, a big step up uh, for him. Um, well, I think the great thing about that team that people could step up on different occasions. I mean, Ray obviously was a stud, but um, Kirk, Kirk had, uh, I think, maybe three or four games of 20 points that year. And uh, obviously, Daron had big games. Um, Rudy Johnson emerged, and, and like I said, Eric Eric Hewitt came off the bench, gave him some good minutes in that championship game. So that they 
they had people, and, uh, you know, Jim Jim was at the prime of his time there as a coach and just seemed to have the right people on the court at the right time. Yeah. So when, um, so let's, let's get into the big finish. So, uh, so Jahani white hits a two, uh, and that caught and the, and he gets Travis Knight to foul out. So Georgetown is leading 74 to 63 with four minutes and 46 seconds left. And what happens next has some serious, uh, 2004 semifinal game against Duke kind of vibes because if you had told me, if you just showed me this game and you didn't tell me how it ended, you know, I didn't, I don't know what's going on. I, I think UConn is toast. Like, how on earth are they going to come back from this? Like, they, you know, Ray Allen can't hit a, the broadside of a barn. One of their best bigs is out. You know, Georgetown has kind of the, the winning tradition. And then, of all the people, so Kirk King, it just takes over. And I got to confess to you, I couldn't have told you a single thing about Kirk King, like, you know, this morning before I rewatched this game. You know, for for people of us, you know, for people who watched and followed the '90s teams, I mean, obviously he he seems like he was a pretty good player, but you know, for for me, like a you know a millennial who you know basically I didn't actually become a UConn fan until like the 2008 2009 season, so I couldn't have told yeah. you anything about Kirk King, and all of a sudden you just watch him start just just going crazy. He you know gets a nice two on a, the assist from Ricky Moore. He hits a pair of free throws. You know, Ricky Moore strips Iverson and then, you know, kind of gets a nice defensive stop. And next thing you know, Allen, uh, Ray Allen misses a three and Kirk King is there for the putback. And th- there you go. Now you have a ball game and it kind of just keeps going on. I think he had eight of those last uh, 10 points before, uh, you know, Ray Allen's big winner. And it's like, who is this guy? Like, I don't like, whoa, like this guy, this guy was really good. So I don't know. Tell me about Kirk King, just because, you know, I feel like a lot of my listeners are sort of of my cohort. So maybe don't appreciate who this guy was and what he was able to do. Well, he wasn't the most ballyhooed uh, member of that recruiting class. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he was big, he was strong. Um, and he, uh, like I said, I, he, I think he had a couple other 20 point games and he certainly was always a force on the boards. I, I'm trying to remember, uh, I wrote it down. He had uh, he had nine rebounds in this game besides going eight for 11. So, um, and he, he seemed to be in the right place at the right time uh, for, for feeds from, from uh, Ricky or also he had a putback on a, Ray's 14th consecutive miss made it, seven, uh, Kirk put it back in, made it 74 to 69 after it had been 74 to 63. And at that point, you're saying to yourself, they're back in it, you know, because they had some momentum. They went on that 8 to nothing run. Derone hit a couple of, of uh, free throws that made it an 8 to nothing run. But I got to tell you, one of my one of my all-time favorite stories, and I, I don't know how much you ever got a chance to be around Howie Dickman, probably not that much, considering when, when you were in school. But, um, you know, Howie, Howie was a great recruiter, and I don't know if you ever saw my – do you ever see my vault book that I did on UConn? Uh, uh, I, I, I've, I've seen it. I don't think I've read I haven't got a chance to yeah, read it much, though. Complete, that's, that's the complete history of, of the program up through 2013. We've had a little bit of bad timing. We, I wish we had done it after the 2014 season, but we got 2011 championship in there. And um, so anyway, it was, Howie was gone over to Central, and, and, and Howie and I always talked recruiting and how he kept, I don't know if you know this or not, but how he kept index cards on every player recruited, and he kept them all. He kept all of them, and even had the, the big guys that he missed 
Um, so when I was doing the vault book, which, like I said, came out in 2013, I had done a Kansas vault book before it, and I knew how he had these index cards, and he ended up giving me seven or eight of them, and one of them was Ray's, and one of them was Danielle's, where he wrote down all the information about his AAU coach's name, his high school coach's name, his parents' name, where, he, where they worked. Ray had worked at some steakhouse in Dalzell, South Carolina. That's on there with a phone number. Everything he needed to know about a guy, he would fill the front of the index card and the back of the index card. And so I went over to Central to interview Howie. Um, well, actually, he had told me this story before, but he told me again, and, and, and it's worth repeating. He was on a plan to go to Baton Rouge, where where Kirk King was from, to go visit him. And um, something happened. There was a flight delay, and he missed his, his plane. Wherever he went into, missed a plane to Baton Rouge. He missed his connection. And so he ended up going to Dalzell to see Ray instead and changed all of his plans. And he showed up, and he was the first one to go into Ray's school. And later on, when, when Ray decided to come to UConn, he, he commented that UConn was the first one in, and they showed the most interest, and they stayed consistent with it. Now, what Ray didn't know was how he had intended to be there. He was supposed to be with Kirk King in Baton Rouge. And so Howie, of course, ended up getting both of them. But uh, Howie told me, the let me see, Ray's uh, freshman year, uh, I did a feature in October right before the start of practice on, on Ray. And, um, and and Howie told me the story for the first time about the flight delay and how he would, instead of wasting a night and, and wherever he was uh, after missing the flight, he, he decided to go to Dalzell and he was in there. And when he came out, the Wake Forest staff was outside waiting to go in to see Ray. Oh my so God! He beat them, and Ray Ray said, "You know, they were the first ones there. That that was like a convincing point for Ray to, to come to UConn." And and how he told me that, that fall, he said, um, "I was going to write the airline. I don't, I don't remember if he said if it was U.S. Air or what it was." He goes, I was going to write a complaint. He goes, I should have written a thank you note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, because he got, Ray, he got Ray Allen that way. That's and, unbelievable. That's, 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 that's one of the great recruiting stories uh, Howie ever had. But that, that tells you a little bit about about both of them and, and, and how hard uh, Howie and, and Dave Lato used to work to get the recruits. That's nuts. So so basically, because he, he missed out on getting to see Kirk King, we were able yeah. to watch Ray Allen at UConn. And I guess if you're from a certain other fan base, you might argue you were ro- we were robbed of the chance to see Tim Duncan and Ray Allen as teammates, perhaps. <laughs> but, you know, so, yeah. you know, whatever. It's all good. Uh, worked out for UConn, that's for sure. Man, that that's incredible. So oh, let's... Yeah, In Jim's case, for not getting Mark Marcus Kaby out of Hartford, but it ended up that uh, UMass had that great year that year too. Ended up going to the Final Four when UConn didn't go, and uh, Marcus Kaby and Ray Allen were the top two candidates for Player of the Year nationally. In fact, if you listen, we're listening to the sound with Dick Vitale. He said he thought Marcus Kaby was the National Player of the Year, and I remember, I think it was uh, NABC or somebody had a 
somebody had a press conference in like February down in New York City. We went down and Ray and Marcus were both there, did some photo shoots together and did interviews. And I mean, they, they were the two studs in, in the nation that year and they were right here just miles away from each other. So um, that that was another interesting part of the, the UConn-UMass thing that was a sidebar to everything else. That's pretty interesting. I, I always forgot that that's like the same year that UMass was really good. So, and anyway, so why don't we get to the big finish? So Ray Allen, as we've yep. mentioned a whole bunch of times, was not good in this game. He misses 14 straight shots. And then after um, after Ricky Moore basically shuts down... Um, hang on, let me just make sure I get this right. So, yeah, so Allen Iverson goes one-on-one with Ricky Moore, and he forces the miss, and he gets the rebound. And uh, that's that's uh, actually, that leads to Ricky Moore missing a shot and a putback by Kirk King. And that leaves right. at 74-73 with one minute, four seconds to play. And then, you know, UConn gets the stop. Um, actually, no, they don't get the stop. Sheffer fouls uh, Victor Page, and he misses the free throw. So that's pretty crucial. 43 seconds left. And now uh, Ricky Moore has the ball. And Ray Allen, who, you know, like we said, not good this game, comes off a screen, goes up against Ray uh, Allen Iverson, and he takes this ugly, ugly floater at the top of the key, kind of just heaves it up like a like a shot put almost. And then for, you know, after missing everything, the, the worst shot he took all game goes in. And then just yeah. like that, UConn has the lead, uh, complete the 12 to nothing run. Dick, Dick Vitale is absolutely going crazy. He's just like, oh, are you serious? Oh, my God, off balance. And, uh, yeah, but not a buzzer beater. Uh, 13 seconds left, and Georgetown has two really good chances to win at the buzzer. You know, Allen Iverson gets a good fadeaway look. That clings out. And then Jerome Williams gets the rebound. And I, I watching that, like, on the replay, I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to make the shot. And then, you know, he, he misses, and UConn gets the rebound, and that's it. UConn wins. It's an, it's a remarkable finish really really incredible did you in the moment like did you know like did you just what, what was it like i guess to see like just that whole sequence unfold well it you know ray said remarkable and if you, if you watch if you were watching the tape like i did i mean you know ray sort of started to celebrate too instead of getting back right away and georgetown just took the ball up the floor and and uh you you knew Alan was, you knew Iverson was going to take the shot and and uh, he got a he got a pretty good look and and might have made that most of the time but he came out and but when when Jerome Williams got that rebound he was right there he was right under the basket and so like like you just said my reaction was oh this is going to end badly for UConn again you know just kind of like. The heartache, like we mentioned, the UCLA game the year before, the Florida game the year before that with Don Elvis and the free throws. And it wasn't, it was just an instant. But, but, and already in your mind, you're going, oh God, he's sticking that thing back. And it hit the front of the rim and it clanged off. And then there was a scuffle for the ball, it went out of bounds. And I believe Ted Valentine was the official underneath the basket and, and signaled that the ball was going to be Georgetown ball, but the, but the clock expired. So it was over and, you know, it all happened so fast. You know, it seems like these days there's so many timeouts and everything. This all just happened. <laughs> I mean, they, you kind of called timeout with like 38 seconds left to set up the last play. And UConn basically went into a one, four offensive set, much like what Georgetown used uh, throughout the game. And, uh, Ricky brought the ball up, 
and and found Ray, and Ray curled around at the top of the key, like you said. And on we we had a great picture. Uh, Michael McAndrew is in the current had this just awesome picture with uh, Othello Harrington on the right, and Alan Iverson went up. He was on Ray, and he went up with both hands up in the air, and kind of went to the left because, as Ray said after the game, he's he was thinking about passing to Rudy Johnson, who was, if you noticed in the video replay, Rudy was kind of open in the right corner. Rudy, I love Rudy to death. Rudy's one of my favorite guys. But you don't want Rudy Johnson taking that shot. You want Ray Allen taking that shot. And it was like, maybe that went through Ray's mind. I don't know. He wouldn't have insulted Rudy that way. And I'm not insulting Rudy. It's just that you... Set the game up with Allen Iverson and Ray Allen, and those two guys were gonna were gonna decide the game. And and Ray twisted around and was twelve feet away. And in the in the picture in in the current, Othello's down along the baseline, and 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 Allen Iverson's moving to the left. And Ray still has like his left foot on the floor, and his right leg right leg is like curled up behind him. <laughs> is any he just well, what he he called it a heave. He called it a lucky shot and a heave, and he did admit that he was. I mean, his quote in my story was, "I jumped up in the air, and I saw Rudy Johnson open. I faked the pass over, and it, I, maybe in his mind he was faking the pass. I don't know if it was a fake or not." And he said, "I think Jerome Williams converged on on Rudy." And I was coming back down, and all I could do was just heave it up toward the basket. I got a lucky roll. You see it all the time, but you never expect it to happen to you. Well, you don't see that all the time. I mean, you see some crazy shots, but that one was, you know, just absolutely absurd. And my favorite quote from after the game was John Thompson, who I always loved John, Big John's voice. And, and he said, he shot a shot that there was no way in hell you would thought it was going to go in. And that, you know, like I said, I thought Jerome's was going to go in. When, when Bray released that the shot, you just went, oh, my God, what did he do? And, you know, and it bounced in. But that that's basketball, you know, and it, it was that's what made it a great game. And, and it made you forget everything. <laughs> made you forget everything that Ricky Moore and Kirk King had done up to that point. All the foul trouble and everything just kind of kind of washed away in those last uh, 13 seconds or whatever it was. Yeah, man, it was great. So I have to say, so obviously I didn't see this game live, uh, but when I was watching the game, there was one thing that stood out to me. It's at the very end. It's actually right after the final buzzer. And I love it when this happens because it feels like this is like a staple of Calhoun. Like it's his go-to move. He'll have this great, awesome like reaction to the final buzzer. He starts dancing around, fist pumping, screaming, and then like after about three or four seconds of that, he just composes himself and calmly walks over and he shakes John Thompson's hand. And yeah, he gave him that look like, gee, John, I'm really sorry. And you know, he wasn't sorry. He, he could he just put both palms of his hands up and shrugged his shoulders and, and, and look sad. And, 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 and to me, John always looked like he had just gotten kicked in the stomach and, and the, all the air had come out of him. I mean, look at John Thompson's face after that. He's he's pacing around, and now you got to watch UConn accept the trophy and everything. It, it, I'm, I'm sure, knowing John as well as I did, um, 
I'm sure he thought he had that game wrapped up with an 11 point lead and, and the clock coming down. So yeah, you're right. I mean, and Jim did that to Clemson. He did did it to Clemson. He did it to uh, Jamie Dixon after the Kemba step back buzzer beater. I mean, he pulled that move out like over the course of his whole career. And it never is not hilarious. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, there it is. He did the thing. (laughs) Really, really really funny expression, you know, and and he couldn't contain himself. He was jumping up and down. And then all of a sudden he went into the uh, handshake mode. It's it's, it's one of my favorite Jim Calhoun uh, quirks. Oh, man. All right. So uh, let's kind of go through a couple of stats. Uh, We've kind of covered a few of them. So Ray Allen ends up finishing with uh, 17 points and 12 rebounds, which is a stat line that sounds a lot better than it really was. Uh, Allen Iverson, um, I actually don't I actually don't have have his final total. He finished with uh, was it 13 points? 13 points. He was four for 15 and Ray Ray was five for 20. (laughs) Not good. Nine of nine of thirty five between the two between the two of them and um, yeah and Ray yeah even watching the game you don't even realize he's got twelve rebounds but it's like you said he did so many things and he you know he, he showed off his handle he had he had some nice passes and and Ray always Ray always did whatever he had to do to help his team win you know and that that was that's one thing that made him great and like, it's like you said when he got to Celtics it was more about his three-point shots and his jump shooting and everything. But uh, if he was struggling, most of the time he would find something else to do to, to help his team win. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, one more thing on Allen Iverson. He, he only had two points in the second half. Uh, he had 11 at halftime. So, yeah, <laughs> weird weird big-time matchup for the, the two literal future Hall of Famers. Um, yeah, so just a couple more. So Victor Page uh, is kind of your big star for Georgetown in this game. He has 20 points, and he's voted the Big East Tournament's MVP, which I believe to this day he's still, I think, the, the, the latest or the only freshman to win the award. And I don't think it's happened too often since that a guy on the losing team has been named MVP. And I, I'm pretty sure that vote was taken before the game was over. But yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Look, I mean, I remember them bringing the ballots around, and they they always want to have them back like you know with five minutes left you know and so you can i mean georgetown had the 11 point lead and you know like i said john thought it was over probably but you know jim never thought it was over but um so you voted for victor page because he'd had 34 i think it was in the uh in the uh semifinals and uh just you know that that was a freshman record, I think, at that time. I don't know if that's been broken or not, but but Victor was uh, was more than Allen was in the tournament. No, oh, absolutely. So, uh, all right. So we have a segment every every episode, broadcast beefs, where we kind of get into the broadcast. And I I have to say, generally speaking, I do enjoy the broadcast a lot. Uh, college basketball is blessed with some really good announcers. I, I find that people complain a lot more with baseball and football. This game, I, I really enjoyed the broadcast, but there were definitely some one-liners that definitely made me kind of chuckle a little bit. Uh, um, obviously, Dick Vitale, every time he opens his mouth, something hilarious is usually going to come next. But Brad Nessler, let me give you two uh, you know, beauties that he had. Uh, after uh, Ray Allen draws that foul on uh, Iverson and hit that shot we were talking about earlier, he just goes, if that was a Hail Mary, it was full of grace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And then when Ricky Moore, he's going through that big run in the second half, he goes, uh, you know, referring to Ricky Moore being from the Augusta, Georgia area, he goes, out of Augusta, playing like a master. Right. Like, where did he come up with this stuff? He, there's no way he wrote that down ahead of time. And uh, Brad Brad's a good, was a good play-by-play guy, and, and Dick, uh, Dick is probably a little bit more subdued in that game than, than he is nowadays. And uh, but I remember, I remember also that you know when when Ray missed his tenth or eleventh in a row, he said, um, "Go to the basket, Ray." He was screaming at him, "Go to the basket!" You know, he wanted him to drive and and make things happen, and then, <laughs> then he did eventually, but uh, it, it certainly, uh, it, but that was a good broadcast crew, and it was, uh, they did a good, I, I thought they did a good job yeah. with the game overall. So I do have one actual beef with this broadcast, and it wasn't anything the announcers did or said, but uh, there was a, throughout the first half especially, they kept on showing the stat where it was like points accounted for. So it was like the number of points they scored plus, I guess, whatever, you know, the assists that they accounted for. And it, I don't think I've ever seen a broadcast do that before. And it was really confusing and a little annoying because it's like, you know, oh, Allen Iverson has accounted for 19 points. I'm like, OK, well, that's great. But how many has he scored? And, you know, right. at halftime, they showed that same thing. And I mean, I'm taking notes like, you know, OK, well, how many points did they score at halftime? And they eventually got to that during like the, you know, the I think the intro to the second half. But. I was like, it was, it was, it was annoying. I was like, what the hell? I've never seen this before. So that was, that, that was one a, of those graphics you don't have to pay attention to. <laughs> I guess so. It was one of those things that I, I think they eventually was like, yeah, let's let's not do this anymore. Uh, then there was one more. There was a promo for the uh, next day's uh, NCAA Selection Sunday show. It was uh, advertised to start at very specifically six twenty-seven p.m. <laughs> Like, I didn't notice that. That was yeah, and it was hilarious because the uh, the woman selection show, like literally right below it on the same graphic, was seven thirty. So it's like you guys couldn't just round up. Like what what's up with this? Really? Yeah. Uh, well, that, that was a different era. I mean, uh, certainly the the women's tournament at that time hadn't really caught fire like it did when you kind of got hot. So yeah, it um, like I said, it was it was always nice to be able to get back on the train, take your time for the team to get back to Gamble and, and uh, they would assemble and watch the selection show. It was, but it was, it was interesting in 1990 when the team had stuck around in an afternoon game and, and then uh, they did the press conference and basically I think there was like, it made it tough for us as writers because I think we only had like 30 minutes to, uh, to, write about the game and then we had to sit down and watch the selection show and then do another series of interviews that UConn was coming back to Hartford <laughs> uh, for the for the uh, first and second round in the Civic Center. So different times that wouldn't happen now with the way that the way things are set up. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that weekend is always always crazy. And I'm I'm looking forward to UConn being back in the garden at the big east and hopefully That'll happen this year. Who knows? But uh, it'll, it, it'll be good to be back. I went to the Big East Tournament in 2018, and uh, it's still it's still a terrific event. So, I mean, it's still – you don't have Syracuse in there. You don't have uh, Pittsburgh in there and all that. But you, you still have Georgetown, St. John's, and then you've got good teams like Creighton. So – it's gonna it's gonna be fun for you kind of to be back in the Big East. I cannot wait. Yeah, first opportunity that I get, I I will be there for sure. 
So uh, I, before we wrap up, I have two kind of final questions. So after this game, obviously this UConn team does not make the final four and they actually wind up getting upset in the sweet 16. Uh, so obviously UConn eventually does get over the hump a couple of years later, but why do you, why do you think this team and uh, you know, well, any of the mid nineties teams, but especially this particular UConn team, why don't, why do you think they, they weren't able to break through? Well, in this, in this case, it certainly had a lot to do with the first game they played in Indianapolis in the Southeast Regional as the number one seed was against Colgate. And, and of course, Calhoun was out of his mind worried that he was going to become the first one to lose to a 16 because Colgate had a Donald Foyle and that, you know, that was a problem. But Ricky Moore hurt his shoulder. He had had a shoulder problem in the, in the regular season. So he got injured against Colgate again and didn't play again. Um, he went into the locker room before the halftime, I believe, and after the game, oh, they, they had a pretty big lead on Colgate, and in the second half, they had no spark. They they were clearly worried about about Ricky in the locker room, and it changed the focus completely. They they beat um, it was Eastern Michigan in the next uh, in the next round in Indianapolis, and they got by Ray had a good game. But then they lost to Mississippi State, which is a game they never should have lost, you know, in Lexington. And they, I, I was right behind the UConn bench for that game in Lexington, and they seemed mystified the whole time. And, and they had been very, very confident. The coaches had told me they they knew what Mississippi State was going to do. Well, Mississippi State played well, but UConn played awful. And that ended up being Ray's last game, and, you know, and Ray said, we should have won it all. You know, that team, that team was good. And they were, I mean, look at what they did. They only lost those two games during the, the, uh, regular season. And they went in with a lot of momentum after beating Georgetown. They got through that, but Ricky not being there. And also Calhoun would disagree with me, but I always thought he kind of coached a little bit different. He was a little bit tighter in, in the tournament. And there was a lot of pressure. And, and I think even Vital mentioned it, you know, that, uh, he had had teams get close, but they hadn't. He's he's the best coach not to get to the Final Four, and he started hearing that a lot. And I think I, I always said that Khalid Alamine helped erase a lot of that anxiety. That that you know, Jim Jim never wanted to admit it, and he got mad at me for saying so after the Mississippi State game. That just things things just didn't always go right for them in the NCAA tournament, and. Uh, and he, he wasn't happy with me for a long time. He was very upset that I that I wrote that after the uh, Mississippi State loss. But they should have won that game. They were they were better. Mississippi State Mississippi State ended up going to the Final Four, and, and UMass was there. So that that was that was a lot for UConn to handle with uh, Camby in the Final Four and Ray Allen not. I and I I wish Ray had gotten a chance to go to the Final Four and have that stage. That would have been you know, the capper on his career. And then, and then when you look back at it, you know, Ricky, we talk about Ricky and Kirk having the great game against Georgetown, you know, the, the year later, they, they were caught with the situation of John Lounsbury, the, the would be agent who gave them plane tickets and you kind of had to forfeit in, in that big, that, uh, not the big East, the NCAA tournament record was erased. You know, they, they didn't get those two. They those two wins were taken away, and the loss like they never happened to Mississippi State, but it did happen. <laughs> and 
it would have been even more heartbreaking, I guess you could say, if they had gone on to the Final Four. Who knows what would have happened. But, I, you know, I, I thought that team was going to the Final Four. In fact, at the current, we were working on a book uh, later on, you know, when UConn won it, they, we did put out a book at the current that uh, detailed the whole season game by game. But I was writing chapters as we went along. Once it became clear in that 23-game winning streak that uh, that they had a good team and, and they had a good chance to make the Final Four for the first time, we started working on the book, and I had several chapters written. And basically, <laughs> in Lexington, Kentucky, I threw my uh, uh, all my records for the book and just tossed them away. So uh, that was heartbreaking for me. Uh, not, not that it was my book. It was going to be everybody's book at the current, but... Uh, it, it was a tough way for the season to end, um, and and they just didn't play well. A lot of times they looked like they were confused, uh, especially Daron and uh, and Ray. They just didn't seem to know how to attack Mississippi State. And you know, give Mississippi State credit. Like I said, they played a good game, but had some good players. But UConn was the better team. Yeah. No. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap this up, uh, one last question for you. So. The, you know, every episode we end on, you know, who is the top dog, you know, the best player who quote unquote won the game. And uh, I can think of a couple of different candidates, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Um, you know, who would you say was sort of the uh, the MVP of this game? Well, I mean, a lot of times, the MVP, like, like you said, I mean, it went to Victor Page for the tournament, but uh, Ray hit the shot, uh, but he had not had a good game. Looking back at it now, I, I, I think you got to say Ricky Moore was, was the guy who turned the game around, and then I think that just made it all that more important that he got hurt. And, you know, it was it was a big crush to the, the chemistry of the team, the passing, um, and, and maybe if Ricky had been there for Mississippi State, maybe they would have they moved on. But um, I, I don't know how you feel looking at it on tape, but... Uh, you know, looking back at it, obviously, like I like we said, both of us said, you f- you forget about what happened early in the game because Ray Ray made such a crazy shot, and the picture was iconic, and the the, the telecast was iconic of, of him doing that. And Jim always said, well, it's easy to make shots when the game's over. <laughs> Used to say that if they were behind and some guy got hot, like John Gwynn or somebody, they said he would say it's easy to hit shots when when you when the game is decided. But uh, that, that was a hell of a shot by Ray and uh, certainly the thing that sticks in your mind. But Rick, Ricky had a super, super game that was really unexpected. Like I said, Kirk had done some of those things before, but Ricky was the... Ricky was the surprise element, without a doubt. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Ricky and Kirk are definitely kind of the defensible, we'll, we'll say like they deserved it type of picks. But, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, having the iconic moment. Like we're talking about this game because of Ray Allen making that shot. If he doesn't make that shot, then we probably aren't having this conversation or we're talking about a different game. You know, and it's like yeah. like I had this observation with like, you know, the, the famous, you know, cardiac Kemba buzzer beater shot. Well, you know, Kembo also wasn't really that good in that game, and he missed four straight, like, right before he made it. But nobody remembers or cares because when they needed it, he came through. And, you know, same thing with Ray. I mean, he he, he played a terrible, terrible game, really, and, you know, missed 14 in a row, couldn't buy a basket, and then next thing you know, he, you know, the last chances he gets, he, he, he makes it, you know. So, you know, he definitely was, uh, you know, he, he came There's through. There's a lot and, to be said. A lot, lot to be 
be said for somebody coming through in the clutch, and, and Ray Ray did that quite often, and this was obviously maybe his best clutch shot at UConn. And I'm sitting here talking to you with my uh, George Brett jersey on because George is my uh, boyhood idol from the Kansas City Royals, and he turned 67 today, but uh, never saw a better clutch hitter than George Brett. And if you look at all of his playoff and World Series results, he, he always came through with it. MLB Network showed his game three against Toronto in the 1985 ALCS and hit two home runs a double and a single, not bad. <laughs> and also threw a, threw out a guy who played on a on a wild play to third base. So you know, guys like and obviously Ray's in the Hall of Fame, George Brett's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. That's that's what make guys Hall of Famers. They, they do they make big plays in clutch situations. So I I think uh, you know. Raise, raise what's going to stick in everybody's mind forever there and, and uh, you know, make him the MVP. But Ricky, Ricky, had, uh, Ricky and Kirk had great games. Awesome. Well, Ken, thanks so much. I really appreciate that you're taking the time. Um, I guess right before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to plug or any, you know, if, any, if anybody wants to read your stuff or get in touch with you, is there any way they can do that? <laughs> I, I have nothing to plug because there's no sports. And uh, this, this past year I was I – was, uh, I had a little hospital stay that was kind of scary, and I, I didn't go to many games this year. But like I said, I was getting ready to go. In fact, I, I had thought about going down to the Big East tournament because I'm on my own dime now, and I wasn't going to go down to uh, Fort Worth for the American tournament. And I, th- I had thought about going down to Big East, and then I had I had my credential for Atlanta, and I had my plane set up. I'm, my wife was going with me, and my son was coming from Kansas City to to meet us in Atlanta, so I'm really disappointed about that. So we'll just have to see. Uh, I'm not giving up yet. Uh, I worked for the Athletic two years ago in, in their first year and, and covered the American, uh, did the American notebooks on the American. But as you know, everybody kind of constantly reshuffling their schedule, and the Athletic decided to, to go with uh, no no more stringers. And so I'm, I'm in kind of limbo my uh, – do have my website is kendavisfiles.com uh, but I haven't I haven't written anything since uh, I guess it was uh, March I wrote something and uh, it's uh, it's just a sad time right now but hopefully we get through this and you know I'm, I'm, I don't know if they can play college football I know they'll I know they're gonna try because the money is there but uh, hopefully they can pull this we can pull this thing together and maybe get a vaccine so that the the colleges can open back up in normal ways and and get uh, get the basketball season in because that's that's my favorite time of the year. So we just have to wait and see, right? Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear you're doing safe and hope you you know hope you stay healthy and. Uh... Yeah, for everybody else, uh, same to all of you. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and uh, you know, thanks uh, for continuing to support the show. Uh, for anyone who wants to hit me up, you can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. Uh, my DMs are open, and uh, yeah, you can also email me at yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, so anyway, we'll be back next week, so uh, yeah, we'll see you all next time.